Welcome to the Room of Lives. I'm your host, Neil. If you're hearing any sounds in the background, uh, it's because I'm not at home, I'm traveling, and I'm currently on the campus of the Northeastern University in Boston. So today I'm talking with Ken Kim, who founded Crypto for the Homeless a few years ago, which is a nonprofit organization where volunteers bring food to the homeless and are reimbursed in crypto donations. Ken begins by sharing his brief life story and how he got into this project. He explains how the project works and how it evolved over time, why he uses crypto instead of fiat money, and how the current market crash is affecting the project. I ask him how homeless people and crypto people feel about his project and discuss the different flavors of criticism he has got. Ken then shares his worldview that has resulted from his experiences and his vision for the future of the project and the global homelessness issue in general. We end with two topics that Ken wanted to share his views on, the future of communal versus atomic living situations and the depth versus superficiality of human relationships. So like I said, I kind of want to start with like a sort of like a brief, like life background. Yeah, sure. Like a, a kind of like a brief story of your life so far, you know, your upbringing, your background, things that you've done, basically the trajectory of your life uh, that has brought you to this, to this point. Yeah, sure. So uh, I guess just to give a brief summary of uh, my life, I was, I was born in the US. My parents are both from Korea. Um, I was born in New York City, and I pretty much grew up in New Jersey for most of my life. Um, and then I went to college uh, in Maryland, and then grad school in Jersey again, and then... Oh, wait, what did you uh, go to college and grad school for? Oh, so uh, when, I, when I first went to school, uh, my parents were really pushing for me to become a doctor. Mm -hmm. I guess that's a really common thing that uh, a lot of uh, Asian parents... Asian parents? Want for <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They want for their children. Uh, it, it, I tried, but it was not really, uh, I guess, my calling in life. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I, I wasn't able to get into medical school. Ultimately, that's what happened. I really did try though. Uh, so it's, it's a pretty, that's, that's one issue that's uh, pretty tough because once you, once you, uh, you know, take all the prerequisite classes for medical school and uh, let's say, let's say you don't get in your first time, you would have to try and, uh, you know, basically redo some of your classes in graduate mm -hmm. school, uh, try, and, try and improve your grades and apply again. And it's a really arduous process yeah. where it, it doesn't really leave you in a great position afterwards, yeah. uh, you know, especially especially for like employment. So uh, after that didn't work out, I actually took some time off. So I, I yeah. was working. I feel like I when you were like kind yeah. of really focused on one of those things and it doesn't yeah. work out and it t has taken away all your time and energy, it can also be a big hit on like self-esteem and things like that. Well, I've seen that happen with like my friends. Absolutely. And one thing mm -hmm. that's kind of uh, kind of tough is uh, also most people, like it's not really a traditional route for uh, employment. Like a lot of people, 
what they do is they just they go to college they they just start working right away they start their lives like they, they you know they're financially independent they have a family and everything like right away mm -hmm. so then to, to see your peers uh almost be like five ten ten years ahead of you in that yeah. regard it's it's a, yeah it's, it's a little bit uh disheartening too because mm -hmm. you know you're you're still in school and then you're starting over again or maybe you're you know like for my case uh i took some time off i was just working like uh i wasn't financially independent at that point i was working like several several different jobs but even then it was not really enough to fully support myself so it, it didn't really feel great but uh, that's mm -hmm. what i was doing like i worked at a dental office i worked as an emt and mm -hmm. then I, I even actually was a wedding DJ on the weekends, you know, just for fun. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I was really trying to, uh, you know, just experience many different things and try to yeah. kind of explore, uh, I guess, my different options and whatnot. So then um, I, I did that for a while. And then basically I decided to go back to school uh, this time, uh, you know, to pursue pharmacy. That's actually what both of my parents do. So they both work in a hospital. My dad's retired and my mom uh, just retired as well. Mm. So they, they did that for their entire lives. Uh, for me, I wasn't sure if I wanted to work in a hospital. I was actually kind of against doing exactly what my parents are doing. Mm. I guess there's always a little rebellious side to all of us. Mm. Uh, you know, but I did want to try, you know, try pharmacy. And then so I, I went back to school for that. Uh, Luckily, that was something more in line with what I was capable of doing. So, you know, I, I made it through school and got hired by CVS almost immediately. And then mm -hmm. I started working. So, you know, it took a, it took a little longer than most people. But uh, here I am, you know. So, yeah, finally, awesome. I feel like I finally uh, started my life in that regard. Nice, nice. And yeah. so how did you get into A, crypto and B, mm -hmm you know, like the homeless project? Yeah, sure. So that's a good question. Mm -hmm. uh, before, even before pharmacy school, like way early on, I, I was uh, really into technology. Like, uh, you know, for example, I am hugely into like building PCs, uh, mm -hmm. collecting game consoles. Uh, you know, I read about, you know, I would obsessively read about just any tech news in general. So like about crypto, uh, you know, I, I'd say as early as like 2013 or 12, like I, you know, I was pretty into it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I didn't have really like, I guess, enough capital to invest in, in make large investments into it at the time. But I did invest into it just little by little, at least. Right. I, like I really wanted to. Uh, I like the idea of it. I like especially the fact that uh, it was decentralized. Like that was that was yeah. a big, a big factor to really. Uh, you know, pique my, pique my interest. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's basically it, you know, so I was, I was really big into tech. I'm, I, I would consider myself pretty tech savvy. Um, and then it, it's, I feel like it's just a natural incl inclination to something like that. So, yeah. and then uh, I guess regarding the project itself, um, I was always, so when, when I was in pharmacy school, I, I think I saw, you know, we, we, we were all witnessing basically like a, a shift in how things were being done online, right? And one thing that I, uh, I guess that really interested me was the presence of, like, I guess, like influencers, right? Like you see a lot of people that are very popular online and that's always something that existed, like, like popular people in general, like celebrities, that's always something that existed. But one thing that was interesting to me was that online, it was like a new type of celebrity, right? Like these are people that became popular, uh, 
in a non-traditional way. Like this would never have existed 20 years ago, you know, 30 years ago. Like there's no such thing as an influencer. And then what really interested me was that they were able to harness that power, kind of like just the power of the internet, right? For, you know, oftentimes they did it for selfish reasons, but sometimes I saw them do it, you know, for very good causes. Like they would, there would be like a celebrity online that would, uh, you know, basically call people to action. Mm. They'd be like, hey, there's a, there's a person out there that's, you know, not well known, but they need our help right now. You know, this is like a father or a family or whatever. They need our help. Here's a GoFundMe. And then boom, like you'd see, you'd see just like everybody on the internet help, you know, uh, put, put, the, put the resources together to help someone out and in, in a way that was never possible before. And, and that type of, that type of thing was just, you know, it was really interesting to me. I was wondering like, hmm, you know, that, that's, that's a really good utilization of like, you know, someone's ability to just, uh, I guess, get the attention of a lot of people. And then I was, you know, I was thinking like, hey, that'd be cool to like, you know, first of all, have that ability and then utilize it for a good cause myself, right? I, like that's something that I thought of, but I wasn't really sure how that could be done. And then during pharmacy school, one thing I noticed was like, every time I would go to school and come back, I would see a huge amount of homeless people, uh, you know, basically right outside of my pharmacy school. So I went to Temple University in Philadelphia and that's that's kind of like in the inner city almost like you know it's not in a great area and i would have to walk a lot like i would have to walk to the parking lot uh the parking garage rather and then get my car and then i you know i would drive out of the city in and out every single day like it was like an like a 50 minute commute and i would see uh minimum at least like five to ten homeless people every single time mm -hmm. and i was i was thinking like hey like you know this is really tragic like homelessness is uh it's a problem that's never going to go away. You know, there's it, it, the reasons behind like the cause of homelessness, in my opinion, are very complex. And I was thinking like, is there anything I could do for them? You know, anything nice that I could just do for them? And I was thinking like, I see them asking for resources. Like they're, you know, they're asking for either food or money and it's kind of limited. Like they only come into contact with the people that are just, they happen to be going driving through that area, but it's not always efficient because sometimes like, you know, traffic just won't allow cars to stop there. Sometimes people just are not in the right state of mind to donate anything to them at that time. You know, like it's uh, first thing in the morning, you know, it's like 8 a.m. And maybe people are just frustrated. They want to get to work and they, mm -hmm. they can't donate anything to them. And I was thinking, like, what if what if I could help them in some regard? You know, and I was thinking another thing that kind of like uh, like 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 something that kind of uh, stuck to me was around that time. I think there were a couple movies that came out. That did that portrayed a dystopian future, you know, mm. like uh, Blade Runner, and uh, I think there's another one uh, in Time, but mm. it basically it showed a future where uh, you know technology has completely overtaken you know every like it's very advanced technology in the dystopian future, and even homeless people in these movies they would be they would be uh, panhandling and begging using um, like barcodes, and yeah. you know people people would just walk by them and just kind of scan their phone or something. And they, they would donate like a like futuristic money like it would be it, it wouldn't be U S dollars it'd be just mm -hmm. like uh, you know credits or uh, in the case of one of the movie uh, in in the movie in time uh, the currency of the future was time right so like the mm -hmm. you know the really really rich people had uh, you know like infinite time like they could live forever and then the homeless people or the really poor people they mm -hmm. ju they just didn't have enough time so they would just die very shortly so like basically it was always it was always a matter of resources but I thought that um, you know those those uh i guess those images from those movies really stuck out to me and i was thinking like hey uh, you know what if i use like qr codes you know using cryptocurrencies and i i 
collect the resources for them online because you know I would be exposed to way more people than they are. And then once I collect the money, I can just get you know types of food that maybe they are not able to get, and then deliver it by hand to them. Like that would be that would be a cool idea, right? Because nobody's doing that. Mm -hmm. I could kind of carve out my own niche online too because it, it seems like a pretty unique idea. It would catch people's attention. Uh, as a result, uh, you know, because it's kind of like very different than what most people are doing. Maybe it, it can catch on. You know, like it would be, become popular. Uh, I would be able to get a lot of resources like this, just, you know, maybe based on the novelty of the idea itself. And then I can start something, you know, start mm -hmm. something cool. You know, it's like a, just like, like a side project. Mm -hmm. That's basically how it started. And then, you know, I went on Reddit. I uh, paid for food out of my own pocket at the start. I, I handed out, you know, like four meals. Uh, as I asked people online for their opinion, like what they thought. Immediately, I got like, uh, you know, just a small amount of donations, like 30 to $50, I believe. And then using that, I was able to really kind of uh, get the ball rolling. I was able to buy more and more food, do more and more handouts, take more and more pictures. Uh, more importantly, uh, accumulate more and more proof that I was actually doing what I said I was, to, uh, you know, I, I said I was going to be doing. Mm -hmm. And then build, by building upon that on social media and websites and whatnot, it actually, you know, became what it is today, which is a lot more successful than before. Yeah. So, so what does the whole thing? look like so you get like a qr code like could you walk me through the process uh yeah absolutely so basically um right now if right now if i were to do a food handout it, it's really simple so for myself i would basically plan it out mm -hmm. uh, i would either go out and get some food and prepare it so like let, let's say i wanted to get 10 pizzas i would just order 10 pizzas from you know the most economical place possible so like little caesars is typically what i do uh, so I would order the 10 or 15 or 20 pizzas, pick it up, uh, print out, you know, the, like 10, 15, 20 flyers from my, you know, the, the flyers that I designed with the QR, QR codes on them. I would tape them onto the pizzas and then I would go to the most populated homeless area possible, basically in Philadelphia or wherever, wherever is nearest to me, which is Philadelphia, right? That's the easiest place for me to find homeless people. I'd go there. I would, uh, it's kind of difficult. I would have to park my car in an area that allows me to park for the amount of time necessary and then uh, start handing out the pizzas. I would re request, every time I hand out a pizza, I would request to take a picture of the box, you know, uh, while may trying my best to, you know, not get their face or anything like that. And then that's basically it. Once I, once I collected proof that I actually handed these pizzas out and also like the, the flyers are visible in the, in the photos, I would then return home and you know post the pictures on all, all the social medias document the amount of spending that i did so i would also take a picture of the receipt uh mm. and put that in the spreadsheet as well and then you know uh, update how much how much the organi organization has spent mm. um that's basically it and then I, I would just go through all of the social medias post the pictures everywhere and answer you know uh, answer any questions that people have online which is typically you know it's, it's also a valu valuable recruitment tool because once people see what we're doing, and if they like what we're doing, uh, you know, we get a handful of uh, prospective uh, volunteers. And then if, uh, if we even get one person in the future that volunteers to do something like that, then I, I think it's worth it. Uh, yeah. So what are the QR codes for? Like, well, what do they link to? Or... Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the, the, the QR code, there's about 20 QR codes on the flyer right now. Each QR code is just the... Uh, it, it scans directly to the wallet address 
uh, uh-huh. that belongs to our, to our organizations. Uh-huh. So if somebody had like a, like a Bitcoin wallet and they, they liked what we were doing and they wanted to donate to us, they could uh-huh. just scan, scan the respective uh, QR code on the, on the flyer. And then it would leave, it would basically give them like a, it's kind of like a text string that, that is yeah. uh, the address yeah, where yeah, they yeah. could send the, send the crypto to. That's basically it. Yeah. So I have to, I I remember seeing your posts about crypto for the homeless like up to like a couple years back. Yeah. And then recently mm-hmm. I saw your post again, which was like a, what was it like a three year anniversary? Yeah, yeah, it, it and, was a three year anniversary post. And this time the difference I saw was that in some of the new pictures there seemed to be like other people also like making meals or preparing them. So it seems like the project has kind of evolved over time and grown maybe like could you tell me a little bit about how it has evolved over time like i said it was just myself i was going out literally alone and handing food out um you know with with no uh no help at all and then basically people started getting interested in the project and getting added on so you know very quickly like my you know people that are close to me they were the first ones to volunteer to help mm-hmm. um so for them if they were, uh, you know, living with me here, it's very easy to reimburse them, right? So if they went out and handed out food, I could just reimburse them. However, I had, uh, you know, like a couple of friends that were interested in doing it that were not local. So the way to handle that, in my opinion, mm. the best way to handle it was just by using crypto reimbursements. So like, for example, if someone in California, like a friend of mine went there and handed out some food, I, and let's say he gave me the receipt, it was for $25, I would just send him $25 of Bitcoin uh, mm-hmm. at the time of donation. So like, let's say he did it today. I would just look up what $25 of Bitcoin are worth today mm-hmm. and then just send that over. And then it's done, you know, like, mm-hmm. like he, he did the donations, he took the pictures in California and then I send the crypto and, you know, like we are square, there's no more, uh, nobody owes anyone anything. And, you know, like, he, like he basically handed, handed the food out for us, but then we paid for it. It's essentially, that's what's happening. And then, uh, a lot of people like the idea of that because now the organization was not something that was just based out of Philadelphia in my area, but it was something that anyone could do anywhere, you know? And then that, that kind of got the attention of, of several volunteers all over the world. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of volunteers just volunteer once or twice and, you know, mm. uh, kind of stop. But, uh, you know, we, we did actually have, uh, I, I'd say like two or three volunteers that continue to do their work like over a long period of time. So that's something that I'm really, really uh, grateful for. But basically, yeah, so we, we got a lot of volunteers that were interested in working, working for us, handing food out. Um, and then because of, you know, because of the fact that I could just send crypto to, the, crypto to them so easily, it allowed these type of reimbursements. So over the years, that's what you're seeing in those photos. It's basically like people from New Zealand, from like mm. uh, California, from, you know, uh, Australia, like all over the, all over the place, like people, uh, you know, there's Bangkok, there's mm-hmm. Nicaragua. So, you know, it's, it's, or India, it's pretty interesting. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of different volunteers. They choose to do a lot of different type of food handouts. So, you know, some people cook their, cook all of their food from groceries. Some people buy fast food. Some people get, uh, food from their local merchants, you know, yeah. and, and it's really interesting to see the type of type of people that are these, uh, you know, the food is also being handed out to. Like I said, there's a lot of pictures, especially from the one that really stuck, uh, you know, stuck out to me was the volunteer from India. So like, uh, I didn't realize how serious, serious of a problem homelessness was there, but obviously it is very, very serious. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the pictures really kind of emphasize it, right? Like, like you see, um, 
the conditions of that area where he is going to. It's very, you know, it's a very, uh, like, really poor area. Uh, you can see there's even children there. Like, that's very uncommon. Like, in a lot of our in a lot of our previous pictures, you know, you don't see a lot of children, but in the Indian uh, photos, you do. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, it's very sad. And I'm really glad that, you know, he was able to prepare, like, a huge amount of uh, meals and hand them out, you know, to to the really, you know, homeless and needy. So it was, it was really nice to see that. Yeah, um, I actually, a cousin of mine uh, mm -hmm. that I grew up pretty close to in India, he also started doing the same thing, particularly during the pandemic. He would mm -hmm. just like buy or prepare food and just like drive around on his motorcycle, handing them out to like homeless people. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't, yeah, I think... He was not getting like reimbursed like officially or anything, but we were just like the people who knew him were just like kind of donating uh, money. So what yeah. does what does the what does your kind of balance sheet end up looking like? Do you end up getting enough donations like after three years of operation to 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 have covered the costs? Yeah, so it, it's really strange. So uh, when I first started, like I said, I I, I started very cautiously, right, because mm. I wasn't sure like whether or not I would even receive one donation. Like when I mm. first went out, I, ju I just assumed that the first uh, $10 I spent was just gone. I was like, all right, I'm just going to, you know, hand out four meals. And if it works, it works. If not, like maybe I'll continue doing it in the future, just really slowly because, uh, you know, like I don't want like I, I was in school. I, I didn't really have huge income. So I was just like wondering if uh, it's something that I can even afford to do over the long term. And then once I got that first donation, I, I in, instantly like, you know, the way my mind works is just basically like, okay, I got $30. Now $30, uh, if I split it up into like $5 meals or so, or maybe even less, like, let's say, like, if I really have to be cheap, uh, I can buy just like dollar menu stuff yeah. and split that up into, uh, you know, like, let's say five or six meals. I, that means I can go out and hand out five or six meals. You know, maybe that's like two or three more times of going out and yeah. getting some content for my, for my project. And hopefully that'll lead to some more uh, you know, donations and allow me to continue to do this. So mm. basically like that $30 donation to me was like, it was like lifeblood for the organization for like three more trips, which might, mm. you know, if, if I go out like once a week, it'll be three more weeks of, uh, being able to go out. So then, you know, I, I did that. And then it was basically like, after that, I got, um, I think like several hundred dollars the third time I went out. And then I was like, wow, this is really catching on. So then mm. that, that, that made me think like, okay, now we have like months. We're not talking weeks. We're talking months of yeah. life for the organization. And then after, after like the first week, I think someone gave us like a $2,000 donation. And then instantly, yeah, exactly. Instantly I was like, wow, like $2,000, you know, it was like more than $2,000. I was thinking like, okay, this is great. People really like support what we're doing, even though it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like a little project that someone started in, in, in the garage, basically. Right. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, this is, I, I'm not uh like a professional charity you know it, it was like i wasn't even registered as a charity at that point it was just like some guy on reddit so basically uh you know the fact that someone supported me that early on i was so grateful i was like wow i have you know two thousand dollars like if i really stretched out i could actually probably go for like a year or something yeah. like that you know like, yeah. like like spending spending pretty generously too like i can i can get like pretty good food and uh, you know pretty good amount of food and continue to get content and i i felt like going at this rate you know it's it's probably like it's unlikely that I will not get future donations, especially if it's catching on this fast. Mm -hmm. So basically, like uh, I, I continued to go out as much as possible, like that. And then uh, there were two significant events. So basically, at one point, I believe after the, I, 
I'd have to look at the sheets now, but it basically, I think it was the second year is when the most important donations happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, we received like like a thirty five thousand dollar donation all at once, and then shortly after that, we received a twenty two or twenty five thousand dollar donation oh, at wow. once. Wow! Yeah, followed by several different two thousand dollar donations. So then um, that. So ultimately, in the sheets, it shows. I think our received amount is seventy-four thousand dollars or something like that. Wow! Total, okay. which is uh, plenty, you know. Yeah. So uh, that's enough to keep us going for ten plus years now, right? Yeah. And I don't even at this point, I don't even worry about donations. It's not even something that I ask for anymore. It, mm-hmm. If it happens, it happens. If not, it's okay. Wow, um, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. So it's enough. It, it's enough for us to comfortably fund volunteers comfortably go out ourselves and just you know not worry about funds really too much over yeah. you know the long the long period of time well that's like, really that's really amazing yeah it's it is it is amazing and yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of an it, i feel like this is kind of an example of the utilization of the internet that i described earlier right so it, it's not even like we have a lot of fame we're not really like an influencer group or anything like that like i, I would never i would not say that uh crypto for the homeless is like a household name on the internet you know it's not something mm-hmm. most people know about maybe like Maybe people that are browsing crypto subreddits have seen the organization post uh, time mm-hmm. to time, like like such as yourself. But um, you know, it's not it's not really at that level. And even mm-hmm. then, like I, like all it really took was, I guess, just to get the attention of a couple, uh, you know, a couple wealthy individuals that were very generous. And then uh, you know, we were able to you know get that funding. And like yeah. I think I post I, I posted something about that in in my uh, anniversary post. Basically, like all projects, all charities, it's an issue of time and money. It costs time and money to, to keep operating something. If mm-hmm. people will, will de- you know, will deem the organization, I guess not, I guess worthy is not a good word to use, but basically if, you know, if they, if they look at the project as something worthy to survive, then someone on, someone on the internet will support you. And then, you know, it, it, it will survive. And if, you know, if, if it's not really justified in like the existence of the organization is not justified, and that's basically what's going to happen. The internet is not going to support you. And even if you want to continue the project, if there's no funding really, then you know either you pay for it out of your own pocket, mm-hmm. or the project is just not possible to continue. Right? It's it's just something like that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's basically it. So, uh, so one uh, sort of lingering question that I uh, still have is about yeah. the role of crypto specifically in this project. Mm-hmm. So I understand yeah. that one thing that it does is that. It's this kind of like this novel idea where, Mm -hmm. you know, like no other person has like brought this like crypto and donations for homeless people together. So that's one thing that works for you. But uh, and another thing might be that, you know, because you have like this public wallet address where you're getting donations, it helps in the transparency of things because people can just go to that address and see how much money you've got and then kind of match it with the accounts that you're showing them, etc. Things like that. Um, but other than that, I'm wondering, like, a, a, what is it about, like, is there something about crypto that actually makes it easier to do this project compared to fiat money? Like, for example, you have this distributed, yeah. uh, you have this, like, uh, volunteers that you sometimes have to reimburse. And as things stand now, uh, it's still, like, more expensive in transaction fees to pay people in Bitcoin or whatever than to send them like uh, money over Venmo. So what, what, what would you say are like kind of, are there like, other than the things that I mentioned, are there any other like right, advantages right. to using crypto in particular at the moment? Yes, yes. So uh, 
there's two things actually, right? So uh, the first thing that you mentioned, I guess, like why crypto? So I've had pretty bad experiences in the past using PayPal, which mm. is, I guess, kind of correlated to Venmo, right? But basically yeah. there have been instances where when, when large amounts of money are transferred, sometimes mm. PayPal will just freeze your account. Mm. even temporarily but that's happened to me as well they froze mm -hmm. in my account for like three months three months at one one time for no reason mm. and i had to call i had to call them you know uh make an appeal and even at the end of the day they refused to you know address any any kind of legitimate concerns i had mm. and it was like several thousands of dollars it, they were just frozen in my, in my account for like three months and there's nothing i could do about that mm -hmm. so the the very the very fact that using crypto I kind of don't have to worry about that. I have, I have peace of mind where I can just operate my uh, charity as I see fit, and yeah. at no point at no point will anybody ever just do that to me. I think that's one huge benefit, right? So just mm -hmm. just based on the fact that I don't have to deal with like some kind of central figure that possibly can do that to me is it's good. Yeah. Uh, but yes, like regarding the fees, uh, it, it really depends on where I'm reimbursing to. It's it's all relative, I believe. So if someone's in the U.S. Actually, mm. yes, Venmo is probably or Venmo or Zelle or something like that is probably superior because mm. there's no fee. It's it's quick and they can just, uh, you know, there's it's not even like um, they, 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 they don't have to do any weird conversion. They don't have to use like an exchange. They can just, you know, put it right into their bank account with, with a quick transfer. So it's mm -hmm. really nice uh, if they're international. I think that's where that's where crypto probably sees more of an advantage because oh, yeah. like, for exa example, someone's in India, like. I have no idea how to acquire uh, an Indian rupee or like yeah, even, yeah. even 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 wire them funds in that manner. Yeah. So sending be, being able to send like an Indian Indian volunteer like Bitcoin, mm -hmm. uh, even with a little fee, I think in my opinion might be yeah it costs maybe, the same as uh, as sending yeah. anyone in the U.S. the the Bitcoin. Exactly, or maybe not because they then they have to withdraw it from an exchange in India. Yeah, if they want to yeah, yeah. convert it to fiat. That's a bit of a hassle. Yeah, exactly. That is that is a little hassle. But basically, mm -hmm. I guess for me at least, it, it makes it a lot easier. Like I could just yeah. send it to them. I, I know exactly what value you know it is for me. They mm -hmm. could do the conversions on their own time, and then um, there's no. I, I think wiring has a fee though, right? So like I think oh, wiring, yeah. yeah, the wiring yeah. fee is higher. Higher. That's than what the happened with fee. my cousin. Is yeah. we were kind of pooling together our USD resources here and sending him money. And yeah. he was not only working with the homeless, he was also working with like all like astray animals in the streets of okay. India. And he got really good. He learned a lot about how to take care of them. And yeah. uh, so he was like healing, like, um, you know, sort of like uh, more like day to day uh, ailments of these uh, animals. And he was starting to set up some kind of a shelter. So we pulled together some resources and. Mm -hmm. You know, by the time it gets to India, it's like worth a lot, but also these international transfer fees cut into that stuff. Oh yeah. yeah. So, but this the the interesting thing is that the same thing happened where people just saw him do this like out of his own pocket, and they started pooling together the resources to where at some point he was like, "Guys, I don't need money anymore." Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, that's think, very I, inspiring. I, it's when like people just see someone, yeah. even when they can't do anything themselves, they're like, wow, yeah, this is a good cause. And then just like the money just comes, even in the middle of a really kind of economically starved time, such as the pandemic. Oh, yeah. There are people yeah, exactly. still like willing to put together the resources for something that yeah. they see as a, as a good cause. All, I think all it takes is just um, one person really to go out and act, you know, because it's mm -hmm. like what your cousin, you said it was a cousin, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. So like, I, I you know, a lot of people want to do stuff like that, but ultimately when it comes down to it, right, how many people are actually going to leave their house, leave yeah. the comfort of their home and like go take care of, you know, animals or homeless people around the area? It's it's not really like a really common thing. So mm-hmm. I guess if, if you see someone, you know, in your own community do that, then it's, it, it's like motivational, you know, you're like, wow, like, even if I can't do it, let me help him do it. You know, like that's, it's something that I, I think people kind of gravitate towards. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, how, how, do you, how do you think your how do you think your parents feel about this project now? Uh, so I don't, uh, to, you know, to be honest, I don't have the greatest relationship with my parents. Right? Oh, We've always had had kind of a strained relationship, but they do know about the project. I told them about you know parts of it, like maybe in the last couple of years. It's only been after, you know, I've only been doing it for three, like three plus years, right? So it's not really like a long time thing yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I told them about it. Uh, you know, they like it. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think they like the idea of it. I don't think they really understand it too, too well, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. You know, being kind of, kind of older. But yeah. they do, they do, they do see the pictures. And ultimately, I think they, they can see the, uh, you know, like the immediate benefits of it, right? So it, it is something that they, they are on board with. They're proud yeah. of it. I see, I see. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And how do the homeless people themselves feel about it in general? So that's interesting, right? So basically, mm. when I hand food out, it seems like in like the immediate effect is like I, you know, they say thank you, and uh, it seems like most homeless people are are uh, you know they they eat right away. Like it, it mm. seems like they are very hungry. Mm. So I've heard from people online that. Mm hunger is less of an issue nowadays but yeah. it, that does not seem to be the case it, like mm. from first-hand experience like when i give them the food it seems like you know plenty of them have been starving at least for like 24 hours you know mm. like like uh maybe it's because they receive like change and money but they don't receive food and mm. it's difficult for them to maybe leave their spot and get food on a regular basis but yeah. it does seem like it, it does seem like when i give food out it's like something that was uh you know, like, like they desperately want it. Mm-hmm. So it, it, in that regard, it seems like, you know, they, they, they definitely appreciate the hand delivery of the food, but then there, there have been occasions where, uh, you know, people, some of them have refused the food outright because yeah. they don't like the I- idea of the organization itself. And I remember oh. one time I went to the, there's like a street of homeless people, you know, there's at least 20 homeless people where, where I go. And then when I, uh, I, I gave food out to like 10 people on one side of the street, I crossed the street and then uh, when I was when I offered them pizza, the guy started walking backwards away from me, and then there's like there's like um, an obstruction, mm. like a you know like one of those construction signs. Mm-hmm. He was hiding behind it, and he said he said this is for you, you know, meaning like he wants me to stay out. Mm-hmm. And I said okay, I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry. And then I just left the area. But basically, I think some of them have the wrong idea that they think that, um, I don't know, like I'm taking the pictures to embarrass them or something like that, or you know, to put them on display online or something yeah, yeah. and it's not that was not you know like, that was never to, my to, to exploit them in some way to yeah, exactly you. exactly like mm-hmm. that was never my intention and actually like it's not even uh, if it were possible to do that i i would have done that you know like not mm. not taking any photos but the mm-hmm. very nature of the in, the internet is that yeah. you know they they demand proof for mm. every single thing that you do like I remember, yeah. even at the start, even at the start when I did take the pictures, there were still some skeptics saying that I wasn't handing out food or I was, like, stealing the money or something like that. Mm-hmm. And even right now, I ha- I have like three years of photos. I probably have like, you know, thousands of photos of of people receiving food with our flyer with the flyer on the food. 
yeah. you know, which is basically the, the flyer serves as proof that we did it. You know, yeah, it's yeah. not like it's not like I just went outside and took a picture of a random person helping out a homeless person. Like mm-hmm. the food actually has our flyer on it, proving mm-hmm. that it was it was done by us or or mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, for the organization. Mm-hmm. So uh, just having that much proof, I feel like should kind of uh, silence most skeptics. But even right now, there are people that will criticize us for, you know, not um like like what they claim is that we're not doing what we're saying we're doing right so so even even with this much proof if people are skeptical can you imagine like what people would say if i had no photos at all you know oh, what yeah. i mean like it would just it would just be uh i i feel like the project just would not have uh succeeded at all just simply because mm-hmm. of the nature of the skeptic skepticism on the internet so yeah. like i feel like the the photos were a necessary evil and the mm-hmm. best that i could do is just preserve uh, the homeless people's dignity by mm-hmm. trying not yeah. to take take you know, try my best to not get their uh, their face or like yeah. censor it out or something. You know, so like that's what I try to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, um, yeah, I was kind of interested to learn what are the different flavors of criticism that you have got from people about your project because I feel like that's that's kind of important. It's like a reflection of how different parts of society feel about this project and like yeah. the different nuances so i'm kind of interested to dig a little bit deeper so one yeah. thing that you told me already was that there's a, this feeling of distrust that okay you're kind of like lying to us somehow that this is not real and then another thing that you t- uh, mentioned which was on the reddit post was that there are some people who are just opposed to helping the homeless yeah, uh, yeah that exactly. you shouldn't help them uh yeah so you've encountered that that also that yeah so Mm. Now, so one one good thing is like because we have so many photos now, the amount of criticism is much less than before, right? Like yeah. early on in the project, it was like a huge amount of criticism and mm. a small amount of support, right? Yeah. And that that support is kind of what kept us going. And then nowadays, when I post, in ge- it, it seems like pretty clear that the project is legitimate. Like mm-hmm. you know, we we're we're a registered five oh five oh one c three status organization. Oh yeah, like congratulations a, for that. Yeah, I kind of forgot yeah, about yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, so we received help from a tax attorney who really helped us out along the process. So we're like fully registered. We're a real nonprofit, and um, yeah. So, so nowadays the criticisms we, we receive are kind of like that. Like some people just don't want us helping the homeless. So they say things like, uh, "Please don't enable the homeless. Don't help. Don't hand anything out to them. Instead, just worry about infrastructure. Worry about rehabilitation. Worry about um, you know, like housing for the homeless, getting them jobs and and whatnot. And like." I, I agree with like the fact that those things are important and I feel like they are, things like that are already in place. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't think just because they exist, all homeless people will use them. And in fact, I think the sad truth is a lot of homeless people will remain homeless just for the rest of their lives. And, you know, homelessness is caused by like a, a million different things. You know, it's not just one thing that causes homelessness, you know, like for mm-hmm. example, so someone could have a drug problem. Right. And then like, if, if, you know, if they have a really, horrible addiction and you cannot cure that addiction then financially it's just like it, it's really tough especially now you know with inflation this bad with uh you know we're in a recession mm-hmm. rent is going up jobs are i mean jobs are kind of plentiful right that's one good thing but like everything else is really hard so like you, you can actually even have a job and not afford to live in a home a lot of people barely like a lot of people i know that actually work like decent jobs mm-hmm. barely i'm talking barely can afford to uh, live wow. in their own place, right? A lot of like most people live live at home with their parents. So mm-hmm. if you're homeless, to get out of like, to get out of homelessness, like to get out of that poverty, it's really hard. You know, you mm-hmm. have you have so many bar- so many obstacles. So mm-hmm. even if there are gov- government programs out there to 
you know, designed for rehabilitation for, you know, whatnot, like, like to help, to help out homeless people. A lot of them are just not able to, you know, fully utilize that, utilize, you know, help like that to get out of mm-hmm. homelessness. You know, it's just so tough. So the, the, pro, the point of our organization was never to cure homelessness or fix it. It, yeah. it was just to do, do something nice for homeless people, you know, just, just to let them have something like, you know, j- just to show them that there's a human being willing mm-hmm. to come to them for a delivery, you know, j- just yeah. to be there. You know, that's basically the main reason why I made this project in the first place. Yeah. And then like another, uh, you know, another criticism is, and this is a big one. It's, it's regarding the balance sheet. So like a lot of people see that we received like $74,000. I think so far we spent or seven or $8,000 total, right? That's about a 10th of our uh, donations being spent. Mm-hmm. They have a problem with that. They, they expect to see like a hundred percent of our, the funds being used. Mm-hmm. Like, like they want to see that we spent $74,000 mm-hmm. right now. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's, that's the next most common criticism. And in my opinion, I think that's a little bit ridiculous too, because that's not how businesses work in general. Like we have two employees, so so me and one other person, we we work you know full time for this organization, and by full time I mean like uh, in one week, a uh, minimum of thirty hours, right? Mm. And we don't even we, we don't even take a paycheck from this. Like like we're actually doing it for free. We we get paid zero dollars, mm-hmm. and that's uncommon. Like for most nonprofits, people that are employed, especially full time employees, they receive like some even a minimal salary from it, and we don't do that. Mm-hmm. So just based on that, most nonprofits have extra fund extra funds for this purpose to pay uh for payroll for business operations like it's not you know it, it's it's uh to expect an organization to have zero funds on reserve is is yeah. a little bit ridiculous right like it doesn't make any sense yeah. but that's th- that's basically the next um criticism that we receive so yeah. i try to be transparent with that as as much as possible you know i try to explain that uh number 1 we received a large lump sum of funds two times and our our current burn rate, like our spending rate, is uh, you know set so that we can last for like ten years. Like I try very very frequently to uh, emphasize that. And mm-hmm. then the next thing is just I try to educate people on kind of like how a business operates. You know, like no business will have zero dollars in the bank. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you, you you wouldn't even be able to guarantee. Yeah, one yeah. day in the future. And in even the if future. you wanted to spend all that money yeah. now, it's just like, how are you going to, how are you going to, what are you going to do? Ex- just gonna... Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like in my own geographic area, like I can't give yeah. like, you know, uh, 5,000 pizzas per person or something like that. Like it doesn't yeah. make any sense, you know, like in terms of content, that would also not be good. Like, mm-hmm. I, like I would rather have many different trips as opposed mm-hmm. to one huge trip, you know, like that just personally, that's how, you mm-hmm. know, how I saw this project. Being yeah, yeah. So I yeah. see. Um, oh, yeah, you mentioned a little bit about, you know, the kind of uh, economic, like we, it feels like we're kind of heading into a recession, the crypto markets yeah. have been pretty bad too. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I guess the, the, the question has kind of answered itself. I was going to ask, how has this affected your operations? But I guess it still has the potential to affect your operations because you keep your money as crypto. It, it does. It does. That, that's yeah. a great question. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, basically, the way that we do our donations in the most fair way is to mm-hmm. record how much the value of the crypto is worth when they donate it, right? So oh, if someone donates, it, exactly. <laughs> if someone donates thirty-five thousand dollars to me, which is one bitcoin at the time, yeah. so that's what happened. Someone gave us one bitcoin at thirty-five thousand dollars. Yeah. I record it as thirty-five thousand dollars because that's mm-hmm. what the donor intended, right? So like, mm-hmm. if if 
if crypto crashes, which it did right now, and, mm-hmm. I, and I, I say, hey, one Bitcoin is worth $20,000. I'm yeah. only going to give out $20,000. That donor is probably pissed off. They're probably thinking like, hey, I gave mm. you $35,000. Why are you only going to give out $20,000 right now? That's mm-hmm. not what I gave you, you know? So basically, I, I record the value of crypto at the time of donation. Mm. And if it goes up or if it goes down, it doesn't matter. All, mm. all that matters is, is what the value was on that day where they donated. And I think mm. that's the most fair to, fair to us, right? Mm. Because it kind of it eliminates the issue of volatility. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the only issue is that we, we assume all the risk as well. So right now in this bear market, I continue to donate, donate, uh, you know, f- like I reimburse, I hand yeah. out food. Because you have reserves. I, yeah. Exactly. We have reserves. And yes, the reserves are, are have shrunken because mm-hmm. of the crash. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like it's it, because of our burn rate. Like I said, our, our rate of mm-hmm. spending is about four, 400 a month. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's no problem. Like, like even... Even if uh, the worst case scenario happened, I would still be able to afford that four hundred dollars out of my own job. Like I could, I could easily just do yeah. it out of my own liquidity, out of my own savings. You know, mm-hmm. like it's something that I could easily cover because the rate of spending is not mm-hmm. that horrible. You know, so uh, this project, I guess by design, is is designed in a way where the volatility is not going to really hurt us that bad. And yeah. at least right now, the the amount of donations, it's not. We're, we're not talking about like millions of dollars, seventy four thousand mm-hmm. dollars for. A small charity, I think, is reasonable, you know, especially yeah. over like over many years to afford. Yeah, so that's that's basically. I guess how since we're ta- we were on the question of this volatil- volatility, it kind of begs the question: What if you convert your donations immediately to some kind of a stable coin? That yeah, so that that's a, that was suggested by some people. It, it is something that we could have done. I just chose not to do that, mm-hmm. but that that's not a bad idea, right? So if, yeah. if it was if it were converted into a stable coin, then it would just kind of you know preserve the value pretty well. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe something to consider in the future. Yeah. Just haven't done that. Yeah. I was just wondering if, uh, you know, because these conversions are also, they're a little bit of a hassle still, cost some money, etc. So yeah. I was wondering if you keep like the majority of your reserves as a stable coin and the day-to-day things could be, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. But that's not a bad idea about. at all. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay. So then, oh, yeah. Yeah, so you talked a little bit about, you know, how like people in general have seen your um, project. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing I'm also interested in is specifically like crypto mainstream crypto culture. Yeah. And something like your project, like you're right in saying that in the world of crypto, this is kind of like a unique project. I haven't really heard do you feel like what you're trying to do where you're like, you know, giving food to the homeless people is something that's kind of like at odds with like mainstream crypto culture and what mainstream crypto people are interested in? Because it yeah, seems absolutely. more as, as time goes on in the beginning, the crypto was kind of about, oh, bring power back to the people. But over mm-hmm. time, a lot of other things like this hyped up things where people buy like millions of dollars of NFTs and they're basically yeah. interested in speculation markets and getting rich. That kind of thing has started to become more dominant. And so something like Crypto for the Homeless is now like, uh, what is that? <laughs> exactly. You know, so. Yeah. So I, I agree. I think like the crypto culture nowadays, it, it's uh, filled with a lot of greed, you know, like a lot of mm. people want to get rich, get rich quick. Mm-hmm. They want to find the next coin that just uh, multiplies in value by a thousand times. Mm-hmm. They want to buy an- NFTs that do the same thing. They want to. There's a lot of scammers out there, so mm-hmm. people are hu- hugely skeptical. Like every time I post anything, uh, I think 
part of the reason why I received a lot of criticism is probably because of other people that scammed, mm-hmm. you know, scammed a lot of people. Like, like there's yeah. a lot of scammers, or, or I think they call it rug pulling. Like a yeah, lot of people yeah. will cre- they'll, they'll create their own token, and then once they have a lot of investors, they, they would they would pump and dump it, and mm-hmm. then they would leave a lot a lot of investors uh, with you know losing their money. So. I guess there is good reason to really to really be skeptical in this crypto field, right? Because there's a lot of bad actors. Mm-hmm. Um, not every, you know most people actually probably are are there for you know a personal gain. I think is probably mm-hmm. the the main the main common theme here. So uh, yeah, I guess to be a, a charity in this in this field, it's kind of like you, you know yeah we're definitely we're definitely a little bit different. Um, I understand the amount of hate and skepticism that we receive. It's not something that I take personally because I understand, like, by default, if 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 you're a community that has been burned over and over and over, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, by the, I think by some the level of, of this skepticism yeah. is actually healthy because is, yeah. people keep falling prey to like the millions of scams. So I think yeah. it helps for people to become a little bit more like you know a little bit more skeptical. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then I, you know, the best that I could do regarding the project is just continue to take pictures. I think mm-hmm. after a certain point, when I have like ten years of photos, like there's, there's really no way people can look at it and say like, "Hey, this is a scam." It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. come on, we have, we have ten, we have ten years of photos. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me, give, give, give me something here, you know. Yeah, hey, you know, something else that I'm thinking about is like kind of vague in my head is that a lot of crypto was about removing the middleman, and mm-hmm. like trustlessness. Uh, at mm-hmm. the moment, the way that you're doing things is possibly the best way that you possibly could. But there still remains a kind of an element of trust that, okay, I have to trust that this yeah. person is actually taking these pictures. And then you're doing this bookkeeping and accounts and, and, and you're telling me that, oh, this is the amount of money that you spend and whatever. So yeah. there is still some like, you know, kind of like traditional middle per- middleman trust uh, yeah. layers in here. And I wonder if using or leveraging the crypto technology further in some way, you could make a project like this even more trustless and and, and people would be like, oh yeah, that's totally, uh, that's totally where the money is going. Things would become more transparent. I don't know, off the top of my head, I don't clearly know how this can happen because, you know, like homeless people don't have their own wallets and things like that. So, so they're kind of out of the system. Outside yeah. the crypto system, that's where the crypto system ends. So I don't know how you would extend the transparency, but that seems to be one possible way in which to leverage the power of crypto more than fiat, which is like make it even more trustless and, and believable and transparent. Uh, but yeah, it's just an idea that's just uh, I've been thinking about while you were talking with me. Yeah. So I think ultimately that that is a good idea, right? I, but uh, to make that possible, I think you would have to eliminate the requirement of a human brain in this project. Mm. And I think like I do believe computers will become that smart one day, right? And I'm not sh- like I know smart contracts are kind of like an example of that. Yeah. And AI as AI as well, right? AI is something that's mm-hmm. very important. Basically, like what why I'm saying that is because ultimately you need a way to verify verify the the food handout being legitimate. Mm-hmm. That, that mm-hmm. that's a major part of what, what I do with the volunteers mm-hmm. is like when they submit photos to me. Not all the volunteers do it correctly, by the way, right? Some mm-hmm. people will, uh, you know, they'll hand out food, but they won't take a picture of the receipt, or yeah. they will they will. Um, hand out food but like one person did it at their place of work they mm-hmm. work at a 
like a homeless shelter and it's like mm-hmm. uh that's not really a food delivery you know like we're supposed to ha- like like the whole organization's uh, belief their vision is to deliver food to the homeless people that normally would fall through the cracks yeah. so like you would like i would prefer if they went out to the homeless people on the streets mm-hmm. and handed food to them right so basically just to, to verify things like that like to, to verify whether or not the the food handout was done properly Mm-hmm. Uh, I do, I do believe AI can do that at some point. Yeah. I'm not sure if it can do that right now, but yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like if that's possible, then yes, I, I, yeah. I feel like this, this whole thing Something can that I can auto- sort automated. of tell you along the lines of this is that I recently interviewed an Ethereum developer on my yeah. podcast. Her name is Loredana and she's from okay. Romania and she also works like pretty much for free on like, you know, nonprofit and she just develops free open source software. And she's mm-hmm. not part of a company or anything. She just like does this because she's got you know certain ideologies and motivations for why she should do it. And one of the things that she's interested in, in is the way she calls it is provable news. Because okay. today there's like a lot of things that you see, this is what happened, especially during times of war. Yeah. Uh, like in Ukraine, one party says this is what happened, another party denies it, etc. So she has been thinking about how could you leverage more like I don't know if AI or yeah, maybe AI and blockchain technology to have some kind of like stamps on like, okay, this is something that actually happened. Mm. This is like, you know, how to produce news that's provable, which is cross-referenced by different streams of information. And mm. I don't completely understand but I, the idea, but the motivation behind thinking of this idea is kind of the same, is how do you authenticate some real world event that happened? To the yeah. point where people can no longer dispute about. It. I mean, people can still dispute about. It. People still dispute the fact that the Earth is flat or round. So there's right. always going to be people who will, you know, like make the waters muddy no matter what. But I think it's still possible to like get the technology to a place where, if you're really interested in the truth, you can accept that evidence and be like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm convinced yeah, that yeah. this is actually what happened. So maybe that's something for you to just look into in your idle time. <laughs> is yeah. what is this that, that sounds, new stuff? Yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even know about that. That that sounds yeah. amazing. Yeah. But it's very much in the bleeding edge technology. This is still mm-hmm. like you know just being kind of worked out. Um, so one question that I had that's like a little bit more about your personal perspective is sure. after working with uh, on this project for like three years. Uh, are there any ways in which like you have personally matured through your experiences or your worldview has changed or matured or you've learned something new either about, you know, the homeless population or something else or just, just about life or things like that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I feel like the, the more I help people, right, the more uh, I, 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 like, I guess my empathy, just the level of empathy I have with them goes up a lot. Mm-hmm. I feel I really think about, um, you know, what it really takes to get to home, the level of homelessness. Right. And I feel like mm. it's not it's not it's, it's not as much as most people think, you know, like you have, you know, like basically to not have a stable home. How does that happen? Right. If you have addiction, I've seen a, I've seen addiction happen so many times amongst people I know. Mm. And that's basically probably one of the primary reasons why people are homeless. Um if you don't have a good support system in place, which is, you know, pretty much like it, it can happen easily, right? Like sometimes you just have like one person that really mm. pulls you out of, pulls you out of your addiction. You know, mm. like if you don't have that one person, 
Mm. What you know? What was the alternative outcome? You know, like you just spiral mm. down a really bad mm -hmm. path. You uh, you know maybe become unemployed, and then you become financially unstable. You're not able mm -hmm. to afford rent anymore, and then mm -hmm. if you don't have someone, uh, you know, really helping you get into rehab or something like that, and that's it. You know, like then ultimately homelessness is on your on your trajectory, right? Mm -hmm. And it can happen to anybody. Like it, 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 you know, addiction in particular happened. I've seen it happen to very close friends of mine. You know, people that are very close to me. Um, you know, one of which I was able to help drastically. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, but like I've seen this happen on a regular basis and it's like, I don't blame them, you know, because, um, you know, depending on what they're addicted to, it is, uh, sometimes very, very tough. You know, like they, like they could want to, uh, they, they could want to get cured with every mm. ounce of their ounce of their will yeah. and, and still be unable to do it. You know, it, 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 sometimes it takes like, you know, four or five, six different attempts in order yeah. for that to happen on top of having, you know, like medical help as well as counseling and everything. Like it's mm -hmm. so hard. So, uh, you know, when you do this without a support system, it's 10 times harder, maybe a hundred times mm -hmm. harder, you know, mm -hmm. in, insurmountable even. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, if, you know, that's, if that's, uh, the cause of the primary cause of the majority of homelessness, you know, I really feel for them. Right. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, I can't be a support system for about half a million people. It's impossible. You can't just go around pulling every single person out, even, even though you want to, it's so hard, right? You, you just can't do that. And then, uh, on top of that, you know, some people are really bad with money, you know, like mm -hmm. nowadays, especially, especially with this recession and inflation and whatnot, uh, you know, you, you have to, you have to be very conscious about like how you spend your money, right? Like, you know, if, if your rent is high and you only have like, let's say, uh, you know, for, if your rent is more than half of your income, and then you, you have a limited amount of money, uh, mm -hmm. you know, left for yourself every month, how are you going to allocate that, right? Like, how much are you going to spend on groceries? Uh, are you really going to go out and, you know, get get the cheapest possible best value for your dollar meals or groceries? Like, are you really being responsible? Are you investing in retirement? Like, a lot of people don't do this, you know, like, mm -hmm. from per this, this, this is something that I've done for myself obsessively, right? And yeah. just based, based, based on that, like, after doing that, it made me much more aware of how other people are handling finances. And uh, yeah, basically, like one thing that became very apparent to me was even like people that are well educated, you know, like really smart people, a lot of them don't do this either uh, as efficiently as possible or or at all, you know, like mm -hmm. some people just, some people just uh, have enough to live paycheck to paycheck with no retirement in mind, you know, mm -hmm. and these are these are like people that work hard, people that are smart. So, you know, if if, if you're homeless, this isn't even something that you're thinking about. You're just thinking about like your next meal basically. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, uh, you know, I really feel for them too. So mm -hmm. it's, it's like, you know, pe people that have all the advantages in the world are unable to do it. How do you expect someone with the whole deck stacked against them? How do you expect them to really get out of that? Right. Like they have yeah. to sta stabilize their job, get out of addiction on top of that. Uh, that first, you know, when you don't have your own, when you don't have stability financially, you have to really like, you know, be really, really frugal, make huge sacrifices, which, uh, you know, you might not even be aware of that you need to do. Like, it, it's really tough. So I guess over the years, just learning about all this stuff, becoming more aware of it, I, I really feel for them. And it makes me like, it, it makes me work harder on the project, to be honest, you know, like, I really yeah. like, I, 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 you know, even on the days, like, where I, I don't want to do anything, like, I, I really make myself do it. I'm like, I have to mm. make the posts online, I have to respond to everyone, I have to educate people, I have to really just, uh, you know, 
ignore all the criticisms, the hate. Like I, I have to just, you know, really just put that on the back burner and do my best to, you know, fulfill the vision of this project, you know, what, whatever yeah. I intended on doing. So, yeah, so I had a question about this criticism. You know, you've gotten yeah, like yeah. a wide array of criticisms. Yeah. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of the time, uh, I've heard it from like multiple uh, people, mm -hmm. is that you get like 10 positive things and then one negative thing and your yeah, mind yeah. just keeps on thinking about that one negative thing. So yeah, how, exactly. do you, how do you deal with the criticism? Like, does it create a crack in your, in your, uh, in your fort it or used to. does it keep you up at night? Like, does it affect no, your yeah. mental well-being? Uh, at the at the start of the project, it definitely used to, but mm. it was more because at the start there were, there was more criticism, right? So the mm. ratio of criticism was higher. But yeah, at the start, I, it would really get to me because, like, I guess the mentality that I had was like, I would just get, I just got back from handing out food. It took like four and a half hours or something. It was really hot outside. I carried around, I carried around like a cooler, and yeah. like, uh, I had to find parking. I spent like, you know, uh, like the drive itself to Philadelphia was so far away, and like I had mm. to. You know, I, I went to great lengths to do it. And then, you know, on top of that, I, you know, like all the things I did for the project, it was a lot of effort. And, and for someone to just not even go to the website and, and verify any of it and just call it a scam is kind of insulting, right? It's like, what, like, you didn't see all the stuff I did? Like, how can you, how can you say that? You know, it's not fair. Mm -hmm. It's not fair. Like, like that, that's kind of like the mentality I had. But then basically, like, you know, after, after all these years, like it, it, it does, none of it gets to me anymore. And mainly it's because I think of it like from their point of view, I'm thinking mm -hmm. about like, who are, who are the people that are saying that, right? It's either someone that is not, like, they don't care about the project at all. Like they're just either out to cause, uh, I guess like they're out to troll basically online. They're trying, they're, they're out to just criticize yeah. no matter what. It, right? it doesn't nothing... cost much to just like leave a comment on Reddit. Yeah, exactly. And then just like, go about the rest of your day and you don't even think about it. You know? Exactly. Like like yeah. nothing that I could have done would have satisfied, yeah. satisfied this person, right? Mm -hmm. And then in, in which case it's not really worth any of my attention um, mm -hmm. or my grief. And then like, you know, yeah, that's basically it, right? And then like the people that genuinely have concern, they're going to express it in a, in a way where they'll open, open a, a means of communication with me where I can actually answer the question and yeah. if, if if I do it uh, sufficiently, mm -hmm. then maybe some of their skepticism will go away, right? Like like someone that really is genuinely yeah, interested yeah, yeah. will 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 allow that discourse yeah. to happen. And that's and then, actually constructive because then that yeah, information exactly. disseminates to other people, and they're like, okay, okay, that was a legitimate exchange, you know? Exactly. And then if we're doing something mm -hmm. wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Then then they'll they'll point it out. Mm -hmm. And then if it's legitimate, like of course I would fix it, you know? Like if they say, yeah. hey. Uh, you know, like you're uh, the way that you're recording something here is actually wrong. You know, like this value mm -hmm. is incorrect because Bitcoin was not worth this on that day. Can you fix mm -hmm. it? I, I would look it up and, you know, if, if they're right, I would, I would fix it right away. So basically, like, I think someone that just comes right out of the gate saying, like, hey, it's a scam. And this is how mm -hmm. I feel no matter what. I feel like when you really look at that, you know, it's not really like uh, something that I, you know, I, I really want to spend any time or, mm -hmm. you know, mental effort really like to uh, worry yeah, about yeah. anymore, you know, so yeah, that's, yeah. that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. And standing at this point now, how do you envision yeah. the future of this project? Like, what do you have in so, mind? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, the ultimate, ultimately, I want to have more than two people working on the project full time. Like right now, mm -hmm. just me and one other person. Um, we, we split we split the, you know, all the work basically uh, on the back end of things like, mm -hmm. like uh, web design. Uh, content, content management, engaging with the community, uh, you know, like, you know, doing uh, correspondence with, e like responding to emails and 
uh, you know, doing things like this podcast or whatnot, like interviews, like things like that. You know, we, we spend all just the two of us. We, we do all of that stuff mm-hmm. uh, in the future. If we could delegate some of it to other employees, yeah, that would be ideal. Uh, that would mm-hmm. be ideal. The, mm-hmm. the main obstacle we have is that, like I said earlier, we don't pay our employees anything. I don't take a paycheck from this whatsoever. It's just a, a passion mm-hmm. project. Right. And it's, it's yeah. also, you know, the other person, the other person working on it is also very passionate about it. So it's not an issue with us. However, I do believe that in order to get someone willing to put this much time into it, unless unless they feel like you know they have a lot of a lot of investment into the project, like like they helped create it or something, I feel like it's going to be pretty difficult to get someone else to commit themselves unless there is some kind of payment, like unless they get something out of it, right? So I feel like as a result of that, we we uh, set up like wallets maybe two or three weeks ago for this mm. purpose. We haven't really mm. received any donations there. But we set these separate wallets are for the future goal of being able to pay our employees at least something. Mm. And it kind of because we created separate wallets, yeah. I feel like it also it, it also stays in line with our our uh, yeah, mission statement. Yeah. Our, our mission a mission statement at the start where I promise that none of the funds will be used for anything except for food and goods. Mm-hmm. So like I, I, I will stand by that, right? Like yeah. all of the all of the funds that we receive for the crypto for the homeless wallets will never be used to pay anybody. It'll only be used for food. Yeah. Uh, however, yeah, however, I think that's use- great that you're being very straightforward and transparent. Yeah, exactly. About it. Yeah. So, yeah, hopefully in the future, basically, we expand our operations. We have more employees. We have at least uh, some donations uh, received in our new wallets to pay uh, pay the employees, uh, even minimally, just something to give incentive to, uh, you know, to uh, be employed by us. And then yeah. hopefully we can expand to other other countries as well like like yeah. we have more more coverage more employees that's basically it just basically what we're doing just on a larger scale that would be ideal yeah yeah in your most idealistic vision yeah how do you think the global homeless problem could be addressed so i i, I think it requires a lot of resources so I, I i think like the current things we have are okay However, like I said, I think there's a lot of people that are falling through the cracks. So other than just helping out their immediate needs, which is like how I, I think how our, my organization is designed, like mm-hmm. for immediate food delivery, I think really to get people out of homelessness, like I guess ultimately not to be homeless, other, mm-hmm. than, other than just literally having like the people that can't survive just die off or something like that. Because I feel like that's what, that's what a lot of critics, uh, critics of my project, that's what they want is like they want people who can't survive just to die and then mm. people who are, are able to get out of homelessness to yeah. be able to do that by themselves. Like that's, yeah. I, I think that's like, it's the a very default. free market survival of it, the it, fittest it, it, mentality. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. People mm. want survival. Like ultimately the, the problem here is mm. in addition to all the mental problems, it's a lack of resources for everybody. Like it's not enough resources for everybody. Mm. So there like, other than like a government safety net that, that allows that to happen, I think there has to be basically things like, People going out to where the homeless are, so I guess like agents. Mm. I, I don't know where, uh, how that would be funded, but basically people going out to help people with addiction, to help mm. people get educated about finances, mm-hmm. and and then on top of that, I think basically, I guess a form of rehabilitation. So like to get people cleaned up, to get mm. them empl- employable, to get you know to uh, train them in employable skills. Like mm-hmm. things like that, right? But I think that's kind of what people ultimately want to fix homeless homelessness. It's like they want people to be able to get rehabilitated. Those things are required. 
the addiction mm-hmm. count the addiction counseling is insanely hard because mm. even right now even right now with our current uh you know things like uh what is it uh alcohol aa like alcohol alcoholics anonymous and other programs like that methadone clinics a lot of them are really like uh you know they don't have a huge success rate they they do help a lot of people out but a lot of people like just uh can't break away from their addiction even using those things right so mm. it, it's going to require like a herculean effort like you you need people going out there doing it doing it on the streets instead of like inside of a building one-on-one counseling, uh, maybe delivering methadone, like like you need primary providers that are willing to go out there, uh, prescribing methadone to people on the streets in a very un- unconventional fashion, and then yeah. uh, keeping up with them, like doing rounds, like they have to, you know, kind of like in a hospital, they have to go around on the streets, going, going to where the homeless people are in order to really get full coverage, right? And that's going to be a really scary, a scary mm. thing for people to do in the, uh, to do if they ever choose to do this because like I you know when I go out to to these areas they're not always the safest areas like I've gone under the bridge yeah uh, in the yeah like like under the bridge it's really dark there's a lot of homeless people there that are a- actively using drugs there's tents that they're staying in and it's uh, you know there's no road there there people keep, there's no police officers there like it's not well monitored yeah. it's not well lit have you so ever for, felt like endangered in any kind of situation while oh, you've been yeah. doing this Absolutely, I have, you know, and um, I try to mi- to minimize that. I try to go like during the daytime. I try to go mm. with a lot of people, like like at least two, or, like uh, me and someone else, or mm. three people. So you know, we're actually gonna, uh, you know, that leads us to a good point. I'm like on our website, we will be uh, releasing like a safety tips post about this as well for people that are gonna volunteer, potentially volunteer for us in the future. But yeah, it is it for this reason. This the volunteering is also not for everybody, right? Because mm. it's like. If you're not comfortable taking that level of risk, then mm. it's 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 dangerous, right? It's like it's yeah. like just going by yourself. It's not recommended at all, you know. It's like mm-hmm. if, especially if, if you're uh, in a more vulnerable population, like if you know if 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 you are in the demographic where you, you know you might be susceptible to uh, let's say physical violence or something like that, right? Like or, or worse, then mm. uh, I would I would recommend like taking a lot of safety cautions before going out to these areas where homeless people are because. Uh, you know, anything can happen, right? Like maybe, mm-hmm. maybe some somebody's on drugs. Maybe they're not mentally stable. You know, like I've seen it, right? It's it's not always not always safe. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, kind of going off of the topic of, uh, you know, thinking about how the global homeless problem can be addressed in the future. One of the things that you wanted to talk about is the direction that living is headed in. And yeah. and I'll just I'll just read out the little the little description it said as we all know the cost of living in general has risen dramatically. Will it be normal in the future to live in larger tribes or villages in communal living situations instead of the more traditional atomic family? Yeah. Uh, you know the interesting thing is like for example in India it's the opposite trend that's happening where like you know kind of mm-hmm. like communal or multifamily households are now becoming like kind of atomized like nuclear oh, nuclear okay. families um so so yeah so tell me a little bit more about it, it seems like you're talking about like the, kind of the opposite trend wow here. so uh, that's that's very interesting that you say that i didn't know that that's mm-hmm. that's uh that's that's pretty interesting um i now i wonder why that is in india like is that is yeah. that something that you that you are aware, like, do you know why that's happening, or is that just the trend? Um, I can, I, I'm not, I, I, I don't know if off the top of my head I can tell you, but what I can tell you is that traditionally Indian households have been like big ancestral households, 
Okay. Uh, okay. One thing is that India used to be like mostly rural. Yeah. Um, uh, like mostly kind of like a village. Uh, and, you know, of course, the population has increased a lot. People have moved a lot more to cities. And in cities, of course, real estate is lower. And, you know, so basically people move away from their communal homes in the villages and come to the cities. And in the cities, it's not possible really to have ancestral homes like that. The mm. house that I grew up in, um, it used to be like this big house on a plot of land where my dad's like kind of like larger family all stayed in that house. And then eventually what happened is that they broke it up into three separate buildings. And so mm -hmm. my dad is like in this one building. Next door is my uncle, who's my dad's brother. And uh, the other next door is my dad's um, sister, my aunt. And the only reason that I have my uncle and my aunt next door is because it used to be like one big um, uh, ancestral home. So this this is a trend that's happening like everywhere in India and it's not yeah it's not just about this ancestral homes being broken up into like um, smaller homes it's mm -hmm. also something that is that more generally kind of pervades all of society and I was just talking to my dad about this is that the feeling of community in the same neighborhood people used to know who they are and they would used to go to each other's houses and things like that. And so the entire neighborhood was a little bit more like a community. And now mm -hmm. there are just like apartment buildings in India oh. where people don't even know. It's more like the U.S. is how it's becoming, is people don't yeah. even know who their neighbors are. And, yeah. uh, and I mean, I, I can't really make any like immediate statements about why this is happening. But I would feel like uh, one thing that's very clear is that Western capitalism and the ways in which it shapes people's professional, personal lives is kind of spreading like a virus across the mm -hmm. entire world. And it's changing even cultures like India, where, where the economy and society is becoming in many ways more and more like the West. Um, and this kind of atomization is, I think, very pronounced in a country like the United States. I remember feeling it very harshly. When I first came here, I felt very lonely and very mm -hmm. isolated compared to the kind of community that I used to be embedded in, in India. So, yeah, I feel like this is just a trend that's just happening around the world um, right now. I see. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that, that's really interesting. Um, mm -hmm. I guess for me, the, the reason why I, I propose this uh, topic is because I know that in America, yes, like everybody, the, the American dream is to mm. have the atomic family. That That's like the end goal for most people, right? Like I think mm. when you're growing up and, and you and you think of success, you think of having your own family, your own house, your own everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and everything, all the laws and everything is meant to protect that, right? Like mm -hmm. you don't want anyone to infringe, infringe upon your mm -hmm. your rights, your, your freedoms and your home. Like, you know, in, in a lot of yeah. states, uh, if, so, if someone just steps foot on your home, you can kill them with a gun. Like, I, I know that's a thing, right? Mm -hmm. So basically... Basically, it's something very important in our culture, but um, I guess like you know, in the past year, we've seen inflation just skyrocket. You know, they say it's eight percent, but actually, like when you look at the price of a lot of things like gas, rent, food, it seems like it's a lot higher than that. I think the eight mm. percent figure, the eight percent figure, might have been like kind of almost manipulated. It seems like it was calculated across the board, maybe in a lot of categories that you might not even be aware or use. 
But like, mm-hmm. I think effectively the cost of living for most people, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say, I think it's higher than 8% of an mm-hmm. in, in inflation, inflation that we're seeing here. Mm-hmm. And then like, I know, I know that a lot of people have a problem with wages, not, not keeping up with inflation. So mm-hmm. like uh, a lot of jobs don't even give you an 8% raise every year. I think like, uh, I know a lot of colleagues that receive like a 30 cent or less per hour raise this year, right? Which is, uh, you know, not that much, especially when your wage is not that high. Mm-hmm. So I know that um, basically keeping up with the cost of living right now is is either difficult or impossible. And I know the majority of people, uh, a, a lot of a lot of my friends that are younger, that are in their 20s, just live at, live at home with their parents or live with other people, you know, mm-hmm. like, and um, yeah, basically, uh, you know, even my, like, I, I have someone here living, living in my house, right? Because I, I charge him very little rent mm-hmm. because otherwise, uh, you know, it's, it's impossible for him to get off his feet, right? Like, there's no way that he could afford rent. Mm-hmm. So basically, uh, you know, it's something that I, I experienced, uh, you know, because of people I know as well going through the same issues, right? And I'm very uh, sympathetic to that too. Like, I understand, I understand that, you know, not everyone is going to be fortunate enough to be able to afford mm-hmm. their own, their own independence. And I feel like if this trend continues, like every time I go to work, I see the gas price going higher and higher and higher. I see the, uh, at least right now, because of the recession, I see the stock market going lower and lower and lower. So I see my own, I mean, it's not a huge issue. I, I, I understand the nature of the market, but I just see like my own 401k, my, you know, my own investments, they're all crashing. The value of it is all going down. And if you have, if, if you have enough savings and enough capital, I guess you can just get through that. You can survive it. However, if you don't, then this must, like the way I see it is like, it must be a really traumatic time because you're mm. thinking like, wow, like my, you know, like my boss is not raising my, my pay. Uh, it costs like 10 or 20% more right now just to buy the things that I was already buying. I and rent, the rent is going up. I can't afford like, I can, you know, like, like I can barely afford to either pay rent or I can't pay rent at all. Like, like I feel like a lot more, this sentiment is more and more common. Mm-hmm. So the only solution is just basically to live together with other people. Right. And right now I see it already happening. Like people, uh, people who normally wouldn't be doing that are doing that. And I think mm-hmm. I saw a figure online. They said like nowadays people between 20 and 30, there's 51% or like more than 50% of them are living at home. And this mm-hmm. figure in the past was 30%. So mm-hmm. like it, it increased by 20%. Mm-hmm. So basically, uh, if if that's the trend that we're heading in out of necessity, then I wonder in the future if there's not any kind of huge uh, correction to fix this. You know, if, if mm-hmm. that's gonna be gonna be the norm. You know, like we're gonna have most people either living at home indefinitely or they're gonna move out, but they're all gonna move out together. Like there's gonna be five or six people, you know, group of friends mm-hmm. forming a community, or even more. Maybe like it's gonna be like 10 to 12 people living mm-hmm. in a multi multi-family home or something yeah. like that mm-hmm. uh, you know trying their best to live under their means mm-hmm. like I've, i you know i i've just looking at the trends i feel like maybe that's where we're headed yeah you know? yeah yeah and, i mean this this yeah. used to be the standard in india there was yeah at least for the guys there was no concept of moving out of home at yeah. a certain age you became of marriageable age and you brought mm-hmm. home a wife and she just became yeah. part of this big ancestral home and you get an yeah, aunt yeah. and uncle and whatever and so that life was uh, a life in which multiple generations of the family basically lived and died in the same village or same 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 city but one of the things that has really changed is that the nature of the 
the nature of the employment market has very drastically changed in India. Yeah. It is now more rare for multiple generations of a family to grow up, have a job right where they were born, and then their next generation is still there. Like a lot more people are going towards like higher and higher education, and they're becoming mm-hmm. available to a national um, job market, if not mm-hmm. an international and global job market. So it is very common now for at least like urban educated middle class youth to be getting a job and moving somewhere away from their home. Um, And also the culture is changing where they're like, oh, this is how it's supposed to be. I'm just going to live with my family, either in a different city, a different part of the same city or a different country. So Mm -hmm. what this is doing is that it is creating the need for like individual housing units, so many more individual family housing units. And so it's putting a kind of pressure, like it's it's like a material pressure, like we have to construct so many things, so many more things per person. Now there needs to be more resources because every little family has to have their own own place. So it's definitely not as much of a minimal or efficient use of our resources. Yeah. Um, so in that way, it definitely hurts the planet uh, to, for every person to be consuming so many more resources. But I feel like to try and reverse that trend, it would be a big cultural pushback too, because uh, there's so many things tied up with that. Now, if you ask these people, oh yeah, you have to go back and start living with your family. Yeah. It's, there are other things tied up with that that would make it like kind of, exactly. kind of hard. Yeah, yeah. I personally a, a live in a co-op, shock, yeah. mm-hmm. which is uh, which is I think it's like kind of a happy medium because you're not going back to live with your family, but yeah. you're living kind of more with your peers, but still in like kind of a collective household in which more resources are shared and you know kind yeah. of you're yeah. minimizing your impact. And that's personally something that I've been kind of interested in. Is like in India, I think it would be a great idea for more cooperative living things to kind of start. And, and foster for unrelated people, not family, but, you know, just like people that are not blood related, but coming together to share a household mm-hmm. like a family would um, probably be, I think it would be a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think one, one thing that's also uh, like happening is people are working more, right? So yeah. like, if, oh, yeah. like if, if the, yeah, if you're not getting a raise, the only solution is to work more hours if possible. So I see what's more more and more common nowadays is people working 50 hours a week or like 45, 40, 45 to 50 plus hours a week uh, uh, in order to get to get overtime or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. To just to justify that pay raise, and it's like if your job, a lot of jobs have the opportunity for that, especially now in in the current market because we have a lot of people quitting jobs too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really sad, you know, because now what you see is like people with less free time or almost no free time. Mm-hmm. And basically, like, you know, maybe you get like one day off during the week and then you, that day is just spent recovering from the grueling work you did during the week. Mm-hmm. And that type of lifestyle is just so different than like, you know, I guess what would be ideal where you mm-hmm. could spend time time with your family, with your loved ones mm-hmm. at home and like, you know, just work, you know, like a reasonable amount. Right. Mm-hmm. Like right now, our, our culture is really pushing for that there. And, and yeah. then, it, you know, they're basically say, like a lot of uh, the mentality is basically like, listen, I work 55 hours this week. I work 60 hours this week I, to justify my lifestyle. If you mm-hmm. don't get, if you can't do it, then you're not working hard enough. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's basically like that kind of mentality that's really uh, being pushed 
you know to a lot of people nowadays you know and, and yeah, i feel yeah. like it's 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 definitely not a good thing yeah 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 but yeah, yeah yeah it's kind of weird like a lot of my conversations in in real life and also on this podcast mm-hmm. are becoming increasingly about topics related to this about climate change about our yeah. increasing kind of like atomization of our lives and how like you know, the pressure of work is increasing and kind of this brings to us to our next topic that you wanted to talk about the yeah. increased sense of isolation from other people mm-hmm. you know it's like human relationships and connection connection with humans connection with nature is being put in the back burner and it's like it work work productivity consumerism buy more stuff work more to buy more stuff that kind of that hamster wheel is becoming more and more and more and technology has a part to play with it as uh, in it as well because despite what it says on the cover oh it's about connecting people in many ways technology is actually creating like little individual worlds for us that are cut off from other people's worlds we are maybe connecting with each other through technology but not it's not really a substitute for like sitting down with an actual person having a conversation with the phone kind of put yeah. put aside um so yeah there are some definitely very rapidly evolving global patterns that are emerging that are kind of unsettling and i feel like our generation will have to deal with it figure something out either we either we go down to apocalypse or we figure something out and come right. back you know um so so i wanted to kind of pick your brain about about this i was a little surprised uh that you wanted to talk about human relationships and a is so the thing that you said was you know ultimately are all human relationships superficial when it comes down to it it is very easy to become cynical about this however we all need human relationships more badly than most other things what exactly is a genuine relationship you know the first thing that i feel a little bit surprised by is that you seem to have this feeling a little bit that you know all are many human relationships can just be superficial. Can you tell yeah. me a little bit about where that feeling comes from for you? Yeah, of course. So mm-hmm. I mean, I I I guess maybe it has to do with my personality, but like I I felt like uh, you know, I'm in general I I would classify myself as someone that's not super easy to uh get close to maybe or get along with. I'm not sure what the right right word is. It's something yeah. I'm, I'm working on, of course. You know, I try my best but yeah. uh in terms and what i mean by that is like i guess uh close friendships you know yeah. especially especially like vulnerability when I was, and intimacy yeah exactly especially yeah. like i noticed this in college like that was the first mm. time i was off by myself and i was mm. able to freely interact with people like my peers and uh, i saw that a lot of people had you know really easy time just co-mingling getting into their own groups and like for me it was a real struggle like it was yeah. it was tough to really uh i mean even if you know it wasn't an issue of not opening up like i tried my best to open up but it's it's it goes further than that you know like mm-hmm. uh, you have to really uh you know like stay in touch have a lot of common interests like there's a lot of things that go into a really good friendship right and it's like mm-hmm. it's not uh, not nearly as easy as i thought it was right so just you know just just doing that i i thought was you know more difficult for me mm-hmm. but in general i realized that um it was like you know sometimes friendships were just completely dictated by your proximity to someone you know like let's say you live in the same dorm as someone and mm-hmm. then you move away the next year and you don't you don't ever speak to them again or like they stop talking to you mm-hmm. it's like that's that in my opinion is kind of a superficial friendship it's like it mm-hmm. was something out of convenience and then once you're no longer close to each other physically 
you don't really uh, have any reason to stay in touch, right? And that's kind of sad, but you know, it is the nature of a lot of friendships. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes if you go to a new workplace, if if you have a new job, the same thing happens where, you know, you you're friends with someone, but let's say you quit the job, that's it. Like you don't see each other, contact each other anymore, and and this type of thing I noticed is a pattern. Like it happens over and over again, not in just my life, but in everybody's lives. It's something that happens very commonly, right? Mm -hmm. And then like when you think about the people that you do stay in touch with. Uh, even those relationships sometimes can kind of like fizzle away. Like after mm -hmm. you know a long period of time, but maybe it just becomes so inconvenient to mm -hmm. stay in touch with someone. Maybe it's just like maybe something about that person over over a long period of time just kind of rubs you the wrong way. Maybe you don't yeah. like. Maybe they complain too much, and as a result, mm -hmm. you're like, you know what? Maybe I'm not going to answer the call or something like that. Like things like that happen, and then if if the relationship with that person just kind of disappears or fizzles out after like let's say ten years, you know. Was that really genuine? I mean, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know how to classify that, right? And it, I, I guess now that I'm a little older, it's something that, something that I've seen a lot, right? And it's actually kind of discouraging. You know, it's like, are, mm. what is the reason why people talk to, talk to other people? Like, like what is it? What's the main thing that uh, creates friendship? You know, is it like a transactional thing? Like, mm. is it because you could get something out of, you know, get some kind of benefit from the other person? Is it kind of like a a mutual, uh, it's like a symbiotic thing, or can you actually say that a genuine friendship occurs when maybe that's not on the table? Maybe when when you truly can't really get much from the other person, but you just decide to, hmm. you know, uh, spend time together or you know develop a relationship regardless, right? Is that hmm. is is that even something that happens? Like if there was no benefit that you would get from another person, hmm. would you still have a relationship with them? Like hmm. you know. Hopefully the answer is yes. Like you know, I do want to believe yes, and I do want to believe that genuine relationships. You know, I between feel like people. the answer yeah. does not have to be yes because yeah. I think things like uh, friendship or compassion or love are not zero sum games mm -hmm. in the sense that it's not transactional. Precisely in the sense that you know, if like two people are become friends and they enjoy each other's friendship, it's not like the value that one person is gaining from that is something that the other person is losing. Interestingly, mm -hmm. oftentimes the value that they're getting is like proportional. So it's yeah. like they're creating value out of nothing. And so, yeah. so, so I think of it as like a positive sum game where the sum of the benefits is positive. And so if mm -hmm. the sum of the benefits is positive, and in fact, the amount by which you gain or benefit from that company is also proportional to how much the other person is gaining, then the more the gain, the better. Like, uh, yeah. so I don't necessarily see that if you are with this person because you're getting this benefit that there's necessarily something wrong with it. If that, that would be the case if it was kind of transactional. And if however right. much I was gaining was actually thing, something that was being taken away from that person. But I feel like this, this positive sum aspect of it is how it all kind of like squares together is in non-transactional relationships, it's okay to be gaining some benefit. And, and you know, it, I feel like to me, it's completely fine that I'm with you because it makes me happy because I noticed that it also makes you happy. Now, if it was the case that it's making me happy at the cost of your happiness, that would be a different thing. But right. <laughs> yeah, those I mean, are just that, like, that's just my attitude yeah. about it. Yeah, that that is a pretty good way of looking at it, actually. Yeah. Right. I guess uh, you know, if if both people are getting a net positive and there's no mm -hmm. nothing really being lost, yeah. Then I guess I guess that is ideal. And like mm -hmm. I said, like I'm not I'm not like 
I wouldn't consider myself so cynical where I, I believe that there's no such thing as a genuine relationship. I, I you know, I'm never saying that, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm basically just noticing a lot of um, superficial relationships, like I described. Like that's a very common thing that's happening, right? Yeah. And it's and it's yeah, I definitely don't like that at all. You know, mm-hmm. and then um, even with people like, like okay, like I, I think I mentioned like my own parents earlier. Mm-hmm. So basically, like one of my biggest issues, and I think a lot of Asian people have this issue with their parents is like they are kind of seen like as an investment by their parents, right? Like they want they want the best for you. However, at the same time, there's also um, mm-hmm. other things. You know, for example, like like uh, in Asian culture, something that is very uh, prevalent is face uh, saving face right and mm-hmm. what i mean by that is like uh their reputation amongst their peers is something mm-hmm. very important mm-hmm. so if something bad happens they would like they would hide it or you know just cover it up or something like that yeah and like part of this part of this is your own children so like your own children's success is important but part of it is for the wrong reason and it's it's to save face yeah so if you could if you could kind of brag to your uh, co-workers or your peers as as like an older asian and you mm-hmm. say like my child is a doctor, my child is successful, mm-hmm. then it looks very good for you, right? And, it, yeah. and in in the in the culture, that's very like praiseworthy, but yeah. it's not necessarily for the good, you know, for the best reasons of wanting your child's happiness. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like especially if your child like didn't want to be a doctor, for example, or yeah. something like that, right? So yeah. it's like in that regard, I would say that's very uh, superficial. Yeah. That's that's not a. I wouldn't even say that's the basis of a good relationship at all. You know, like yeah. I, I think that, like that, like that what... really brings you to question. Yeah. You know, is like, oh, is my worth then exactly. just all of the marketable things for the society? And if I'm not able to deliver those goods, is there any leftover worth? And I feel like under those circumstances, I can kind of start to see how you would start to become cynical. Of, yeah, exactly. of, of of relationships and you're kind of like seeking for something where you know your worth is just just being that person and you know and, yeah and, and, and that's enough yep, yep. yeah so yeah it, it's basically things like that you know so um i guess one of my personal goals is to you know really work on making genuine connections with other people especially mm-hmm. like that you know my friends and family that are close to me and it's like i want to avoid all the, mm-hmm. you know, the superficial relationship as much as possible. Not not that it's not necessary. Like I think at work, mm-hmm. and I guess other areas like that. You know, sometimes yeah. it, it's unavoidable. Like you do have to have it, right? But I guess I don't want to just only have that. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes sense. You know, I feel like there's an interesting connection between this and like the homeless um, issue mm-hmm. because. I feel like, I mean, of course, I'm kind of projecting because I haven't had that experience. But one feeling that I get is that in many ways, the thing that hurts the most as a person on the fringe of society is, of course, it hurts to not have like material resources, but to constantly get this feeling from the entire rest of society that you're not worth anything Mm -hmm. and that I'm not even going to look you in the eye you're kind of invisible and you know you, you're not you're not contributing anything to society you're not making making the machine move forward you're not employed yeah, you don't yeah. have a house and and therefore you have no worth is you know that's that's got to hurt really a lot as as a human being and so i feel like 
you know, when you were talking about how the more you work on this homeless project, the more you have this empathy. And, and I think this, this empathy is something that's kind of unconditional. It doesn't ask that you show me what your worth is first, and then I will decide to empathize with you. And uh, so, yeah, I think at the bottom, at, at the end of the day, like, you know, it kind of comes down to, to working on the feeling of empathy and respect and the feeling that, okay, you're, you're, you're worth it. That's not conditional on mm -hmm. all this surface phenomena. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean, that's something that's, that's not just about the homeless thing, but also about like, you know, real life interpersonal, um, yeah, relationships. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I personally have had a, not the same experience, but kind of like a similar experience that I've been noticing in the last several months is that, uh, I mean, I have a lot of friends and everything, but sometimes I notice that it's like one thing that's particularly difficult for me is I'm pretty good at listening to other people's like problems and emotions and yeah. things like that, but I'm not very good at being vulnerable with yeah. them and telling them what it really is going on, what are my emotions and, you know, being actually like kind of weak and open and vulnerable. And I used to think that, okay, so a lot of these relationships I thought was kind of one way that I was kind of just like providing, but I cannot emotionally lean on them because they're yeah. not going to be able to take it. And so it was, those relationships were not really feeling like intimate for me. It was only in mm -hmm. one direction. But right. then I heard a couple of people tell me, like, you got to you got to give them a chance. Like, you got to regardless of what you think, the way that they're going to respond appropriately or not. It is an exercise for you to start just trying to become more vulnerable, regardless of whether or not they catch you. <laughs> right. Right. You know, so uh, so I kind of started doing that. And in the beginning, it was like you know, my mind was constantly critiquing, like, I'm telling this person of some trouble. And they are like, maybe like, hmm, okay, or whatever, or they, 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 they take, they respond a little bit. And in my mind, it's like, whoa, if someone told me that I would have helped them so much better. So my yeah. mind was like critiquing that, oh, your response is not as good as I would have, you know, right. but then over time, I tried to keep changing my mindset to be like any little thing that you give me is a bonus. You know, you're not obligated to give me any love, compassion or empathy. And my mindset has to become that like anything that you give me, I'll just appreciate. Um, and so the more I started doing that and the more I started kind of even giving my, up my expectations and just practicing being more vulnerable, I noticed that the more really genuine my 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 relationships started to feel um and it was kind of interesting that it was like oh so it was possible for me to do something just on my end mm -hmm. without the world or these other people changing um and and it does make me feel more connected regardless of what the other person is doing or not so that was kind of like an an, an interest and i'm still working on it yeah, but for example, this yeah, this thing finding. that I'm telling you right now is actually yeah. an example of me being vulnerable <laughs> okay. and telling you something. But uh, it's just something that I've noticed is, you know, uh, I didn't realize or I was unwilling to acknowledge that part of the bottleneck was within me because I just had this kind of layer of cynicism that mm -hmm. why should I open up myself with you, you know? 
and 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 so i'm st- i'm still kind of trying to work on that and just become more vulnerable regardless of however the other person uh takes it so anyway just this is just like my my perspective on like a related topic no, that, that's very interesting yeah, yeah and i think yeah. that's uh that's kind of like a good uh good place to start i think you know like i think yeah. in order to in order to cultivate more genuine relationships yeah yeah um and i mean these things do happen where like you know drift apart or the proximity mm-hmm. changes and a lot of the time if i uh if i had a friend who was living in my city we were hanging out a lot and then they leave the city a lot of the time it's as if they like, drop off the end of the, the the edge of the earth for me it's not like yeah. i stop loving them or anything but it's just like we stop hanging out but i don't really see that so much as like oh that wasn't genuine it's like my mind is a cup and only so much can be contained in it and if they yeah. come back in my life it's like we we were like back where we started so yeah yeah uh so i think that's really that was the last thing on my list um so yeah well thanks a lot for this uh conversation thanks, yeah. uh, thanks a lot for the podcast having me yeah. on and um uh, yeah, yeah reaching out to us yeah absolutely well good good luck with uh, your project Thanks for joining Ken and me today in the Room of Lives. Take care until next time.